welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Emily Perez. She's the director of safety, regulatory, claims, micro acquisition, and integration at L'Oreal. She's also the women of color think tank lead at L'Oreal, and she's a creator of the Latinas in Beauty Mentorship Group. This episode is in partnership with Beauty Connect. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Robin Watkins. She's the founder and chief product developer at the Holistic Beauty Group. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Jody, how you doing today? Hi, Carrie. Great to see you. Likewise. So our guest today actually came to us through Beauty Connect. So could you just briefly tell our listeners what is Beauty Connect? That's a great question. Okay. So Beauty Connect is a global industry event series where they bring together um, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, brand owners. And what they love to do is introduce brands to investors um, so they can create growth opportunities. Mm. And we've been partnering with them for quite some time. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. I mean, it's one of those (laughs) things that I look back on. I'm like, how did this happen? The event used to be called Beauty and Money Summit. And I went to one. I can't remember. I think um, Alana Zeifer, who's one of our guests um, a long time ago, introduced me to the event series. I think she was um, speaking there. So she thought I would like it. I went and I thought it was really cool. And I reached out to the organizers to see if we can... um, partner together, collaborate. And they said, yes. And now it's like four or maybe even five years. Uh, We create um, content and share news about the event series with our fans. And my team speaks at the events and attends the events. So it's been this really lovely, um, great partnership. That's amazing. And it all came from you just seeing if that, that was an opportunity. Yeah, it was either Alini or I, one of us asked, you know, like that's the crazy thing. Sometimes you just have to ask and magic happens. That is excellent advice for all things in life. So this year it's in LA, huh? We have some of our team going. Yep, Alini and Shannon are going to go and our guests will be there, Emily, and um, many other leaders in the industry. So this will be the first live event for many of these people in a long time. That's very, very exciting. And I believe we have a discount code for people signing up. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. I mean, if you join our emailing list, you'll always get news like this. Um, We're very casual in our emails, but we're, um, you know, sending really great information to our fans. So um, it is a great event series. It's especially wonderful if you're starting a brand and want to understand the lay of the land when it comes to seeking investment. And of course, like incredible if you actually, you know, have a functioning brand that's proven itself in the marketplace and you want to um, have real serious conversations with serious investors. Mm-hmm. And you had an opportunity to speak with Emily before the event and learn all about uh, her role at, in Latinas in Beauty. Anything you want to tease from the episode for our listeners? Well, you know, she's so ambitious. She has this incredible, cool job at L'Oreal. And then she takes it upon herself to build a community for people to give them opportunities and mentorship. And um, I mean, she's just a super inspiring lady. Yes. And in our social, we're highlighting some of the brands that Emily uh, 
mentioned that are part of Latinas in Beauty. So be sure to uh, take a look there. Uh, so let's get into it. I want to hear all the amazing things Emily shared with you. And we will roll episode 192. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to welcome Emily Perez to the show. Hi, Emily. Hi, Jody. So I'm excited to say your title. You are the Director of Safety, Regulatory, Claims, Micro, Acquisition, and Integration at L'Oreal. And you are also the Woman of Color Think Tank Lead. So this is a big welcome to Where Brains Need Beauty. That's the best title ever. <laughs> it's a long one, um, but definitely one that you know I thoroughly uh, enjoy. Uh, so I manage uh, and head the acquisition and integration of L'Oreal brands um, composed of the compliance department, which is safety, regulatory, claims, and micro. Um, yeah, I'm, we're going to dive deep into what this job means and how you found your way to it. I do want to say that um, we were connected through the Beauty Connect team because um, you'll be appearing at their event in L.A. in November, right? Yeah, so I was able to connect with them through um, the Latinas in Beauty uh, organization that I started, uh, and it's a phenomenal partnership. So that's exciting. That's November 2nd and 3rd in LA, and it's the first time they're back in person in quite some time. So um, some team members of my team are going to be there, and you'll get to meet them there, and everyone will get to hear your wisdom at the show. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, so let's go back, back, back in time. Emily, and when you're a little kid, like 11 years old, what did you want to be when you grow up? So around that time, you know, I was I was born in Brazil. So I um, at that time, I wanted to be a teacher because um, all uh, the women in my family were teachers. So I was, you know, going um, following their paths and they loved uh, teaching and being around kids. So at that time, I wanted to be a teacher. And um, when did that dream change? So that dream changed and I moved into the U.S. And as you know, I was in the school system, really trying to define what I wanted to do versus just going through what I had seen, what my family members were doing, really trying to discover what Emily really wanted. Um, and at that time, it was still a confusing phase. Uh, but when it was time to decide, you know, where are you going to college? What's going to your, to be your degree? And that pressure really set in. Um, I was like, you know, I want to go pursue being a veterinarian. So I went uh, to my, my bachelor's is uh, in animal science, because that's where my path had started. So um, how old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was 10. And that's like a pretty, like, um, that's like a um, pre, pre-teen, what do we call pre preteen these days? Yeah. A tween? <laughs> I'd say it was a very uh, difficult, it was definitely one of those challenging times where you kind of like, are maturing, you're developing, you know, you're not really, you're in that phase between being a child, but yet still trying to be a grown up. <laughs> so do you remember what it was like, uh, like your first day of school in the U.S.? I do. I, I remember it vividly. Um, you know, um, my mom was very adamant that I went to attended just the English speaking classes. Um, but, you know, the program at that time, you went to kind of like uh, English is your second language. So I kind of went to a Spanish class with where you learned English. But the thing is, Brazilians, we speak Portuguese. So, <laughs> so instead of learning English, I went home speaking Spanish. <laughs> so my mom was like, no, no, no. Like we, we that, you know, we need her to start learning um, English. So they threw me into an English speaking class only um, where kids, you know, at that age, you know, instead of teaching me the language, they would teach me the bad words. So I would go home <laughs> speaking <laughs> 
the bad words instead of the good ones. So it's definitely um, a roller coaster of like trying to navigate, you know, making friends, not knowing the language. You know, math ended up being one of my favorite subjects because you know there's no language barrier there. Um, but I, yeah, I remember that time and the and the kids, you know, that I grew up with after that, along with um, and the impact that they had in that process and what the impact that they had for, with me. So I know a lot of people learn other languages through like watching TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a TV show that you watched to learn English? I, I don't remember um, one, but I had a lot of friends that I just, like I would go over their house and like just be surrounded with them and just like with their families and just like, it was one of those like sink or swim situations, right? You either figure out how to <laughs> speak it or you don't. Um, and that's why I feel with that, I've lost my my accent um, because I was forced to, not forced, but, you know, I was speaking English a lot more than I was speaking Portuguese. Um, yeah, I bet you could like write a great book, you know, of that experience, <laughs> like that, the tween experience of moving and having to learn a new language and make new friends. Yeah, and boys are brutal at that time, you know? <laughs> Yeah, hopefully now um, everyone's a little kinder to each other. We can hope that people have evolved. I think so. So um, why animal science? So I was challenged with trying to figure out, you know, thinking for me, it was kind of thinking outside the box, right? So I grew up, my mom is a mom of four. Um, We were, were, you know, she was a single mom. So we really didn't have a lot. Um, So I was trying to figure out, you know, what, could I do to get myself kind of like out of poverty <laughs> that wasn't kind of like the standard um, jobs that I had exposure to, right? Because that's the one thing of being uh, an immigrant myself and parents uh, that have immigrated. Like we don't have exposure to the larger jobs or like the different types of jobs. So veterinarian was something I guess that I just had the exposure to. And it was, you know, I loved animals. I loved the idea of caring for them. Um, and that's what I decided to pursue. Luckily, luckily for me, it's like one of those like that I pursued it, but I'm as you know, I'm here. I'm not a veterinarian. <laughs> right, right. So that was my next question. Okay, so why aren't you a vet right now? So, you know, going through the program, I had to do a lot of internships and I had to work at the vet hospitals and was one of the going through that process, I was able to determine that, you know, um, the most difficult part for me was um, putting an animal down and really seeing that emotion when it came to the pet and the owner. And it was something that like that gut feeling in you. They're like, I just can't do this for the rest of my life. You know, like that, that's what like sticks vividly in my brain is those days where I had to, you know, be in the room with the vet going through that procedure. And I was like, okay, I like (laughs) my emotions like overtake me in that process. Like everything else, like I was perfect with, but like that aspect of the job just like really sit really heavy with me. So I had to make that difficult decision of like, you know, like, I love it, but I think that this is going to be very heavy for me and something that I can't see myself doing, you know, for the rest of my life, right? Because when you're in college, you think, like, your career and what you're going to school for is what you do for the rest of your life. Uh, but what we all come to find out really isn't, right? You can make, you can, you can pivot. <laughs> That's right. I um, was a government and law major. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And by the time I graduated, I didn't want anything to do with it. Right. You know, it wasn't, I knew it wasn't going to be right for me. Right. Um, we actually just brought home an animal, our first, like, real pet, um, to our house. And now my daughter is um, the caretaker of a hedgehog. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very um, exotic pet. <laughs> yeah, it's super cute. Um, it doesn't do a lot, 
but um, it's adorable and oh, it curls up like a ball oh. and that's like the best. It's so cute. So this is really new for us. We've oh. never had a, a real pet. You know, we had like goldfish, but right. never a pet like this. No. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So how did you take the career, the, the degree in animal science and like turn that into a non-animal science career? Yeah. So, you know, when it was time for me to graduate, you know, I knew, so my degrees in animal science very similar to a bio degree. Uh, you just take some additional classes in animal science. Um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, to be fully honest with you. I had no idea. I was kind of, you know, getting, you know, graduating, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. And my now husband, then boyfriend at the time, encouraged me to just, you know, be aware, like what the roles were out there. If there was something that was of interest of me that I felt like that my degree um, qual- was qualified uh, and it was interest to apply, right? He was like, he was one of those very early on, you know, many years ago was like, apply. You don't have to qualify for hundred percent of the job. If you feel it's something that you'd be interested in, just apply. And that's what I did. And I had actually several companies reach out to me for some interviews. And the one that really clicked um, and I think it was, you know, a very interesting uh, story is it, it was working for a animal health pharmaceutical company. So I oh, checked the box, right? An animal health degree. That makes sense. Um, I interviewed for a role. I ended up not getting that particular role. Uh, but what they did instead is they loved the interview and they actually created a new role um, within the department for me, um, which leveraged all my skill sets, right? Like my education, um, as well as my um ability to speak Portuguese and Spanish. So uh, I started working on their Latin American division, supporting registrations of their products in that region. So I was able to travel to Brazil, to Chile with them. Uh, it was, it was, I hit it out of the park with that one <laughs> um, because it, it really did start my career into this space of the compliance world of our, our products in the U.S., um, which started my, my path to lead me to beauty. So Emily, I want to spend a moment, you know, going back to what your future husband said to you, like, just go for it. Um, I think it's really important to um, take a beat and recognize that like we, we have these self, like self doubt inside of us. Right. And sometimes we need right. the people around us to push us. Um, because, you know, if you, if you're like, Oh, I'm not a hundred percent perfect for the job description, you wouldn't have sent in your resume. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I have that conversation now with a lot of my girlfriends, you know, because that's still happening, right? Like we psych ourselves out and I, and I know there's data behind it that says women do it more than men. Um, but they're like, oh, but I don't have, you know, this credential or, you know, that or that degree. But just apply. You never know what the outcome can be. In the worst case scenario, it's a no and you move on and you find something else. But I think so many doors open um, when women uh, just apply. Yeah. I mean, uh, as someone who does a lot of hiring, um, I love it when people reach out to me and say, like, I saw that you have this job opening. I'm not 100% right for that role, but I want to introduce myself if XYZ ever opens up, right? And that right. really sets you apart from all the other people who are really unqualified for the job and they're just like, you know, spamming you with resumes. Right. Um, right. right? Like, if there's a genuine interest in my agency and working at my business, um, send, send us a note, let us know that, right. right? Because you do never know, like today we're hiring for this job, but tomorrow we can be hiring for another one. Exactly. You already have that person in mind, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the, the key too. And then like that 
can increase like their network as well. Right. And you know what? Um, the other thing is um, a lot of us in this industry are really great networkers. So if this person right. is nice and smart and I don't have a role for them, it doesn't, I might have a friend in another company that's looking to fill a role, right? And exactly. I'm happy to share that. So it's, uh, I think it's important to be not spammy with your resume, but to be really thoughtful and like, you know, do real human outreach to the people who are hiring. Yeah. I agree with you. Okay. I want to go back because this is going to be so fun for me because I'm not in your side of the business and I want to learn so much. Safety, regulatory, claims, micro acquisition, integration. Okay. Yes. So um, can we talk, can we just like define the terms a little bit? I think it'd be great if you can tell us what each of those words mean. Yeah. So um, at at L'Oreal, you know, that is one department that uh, encompasses all those individual groups. So safety is really ensuring the, the, the safety of the products that you know, um, that we sell. Um, regulatory, you know, we have regulatory bodies both in the U.S. and international that govern our products. So whether it be at the federal level or at the state level, you know, that group covers um, that function. Claims, um, and a lot of people, you know, when I used to be in the claim, specifically in the claims team, and every time I, you know, I mentioned that I'm in claims, a lot of people don't understand that this role kind of exists bef- <laughs> uh, within organizations, but that group is really ensuring that the the advertising and communication uh, that the brands are putting out uh, are validated um, via either literature or studies uh, to back them up. And micro is really, you know, the ensuring um, the micro components of the products are safe for you to use and, and stable. Okay, so you do all of that for um, when L'Oreal buys businesses and brings them into the into the corporate structure. Correct. Yeah, so like when they're interested um, in acquiring a brand, we uh, this group that I oversee, we, we review uh, the brand portfolio for the mergers and acquisition team. Um, and then once L'Oreal decides to purchase it, uh, we work on integrating them into the L'Oreal portfolio. So you get to do like a due diligence before a deal is even done? Exactly. Yeah. So you guys are on like the the down low, or am I even saying this right, of like what's happening at L'Oreal in terms of acquisitions? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they give me just enough information, <laughs> but they still keep Well, you it, have to know what brands, tight. right? I know what brands they're looking at, but at the end, you know, once that information is sent to them, I never really know if they go through with it until it's public. Right. Okay. But that's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah. And then are you working with the brand then once it has been acquired to make sure that everything is moving in the direction that's like a L'Oreal way? Yeah. So we work collectively, you know, cross-functionally with all the all the functions uh, between, you know, the labs, um, the marketing team, our, our specific um, group to really just have that, you know, starting conversations and building the support for them um, and continuing, you know, any new any new products that they want to put out and just have that dialogue. It's interesting, all these different parts of this one department, because it says to me that you have a lot of different types of disciplines as experts within your team. Yes. So is it like lawyers, scientists, like what kind, what type of expertise is on, on your, in your department? So the claims team is definitely between, uh, is, a, is a mix between uh, scientists and lawyers um, within the SRCM team. And then we obviously, you know, we have the legal team, um, at L'Oreal that, uh, oversees that function. So if somebody loves being a lawyer, but doesn't want to actually like be a lawyer the way I see on TV, like there's other places for them to, oh, yeah. to find success. Yeah. In-house is like <laughs> in-house. I think, you know, what in the, in the lawyer world is where they <laughs> love to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Okay. So um, can we spend time talking about the Women of Color Think Tank? 
Tell me all about it. So L'Oreal has, you know, the diversity and inclusion team. And within that group, they have different types of think tanks. Um, and the one that I support is the Women of Color think tank that they started uh, about in 2017. I am a lead uh, in their employee subcommittee. So we're focused on the employee experience on, you know, um, retaining uh, and advancing and recruiting. And um, what kind of work do you do as the lead? So as the lead, um, we support what our members are are looking for. So we do, you know, we have meetings, general membership meetings throughout the year where we really come together uh, to showcase, you know, what's going on. But then we also do a lot of education. And that's very important um, to us. Uh, for the heritage months throughout the year. So we start with Black History Month um, in February and we um, celebrate and educate all of them. We're coming up with Hispanic Heritage Month uh, on September 15th. So, you know, we we do a lot of um, events, not only from the employee experience, but then also understanding uh, our consumer and who they are and how we communicate um, to them as well. But then we also do a lot of networking, visibility, mentorship, sponsorship events uh, for our employees. Um, so, you know, we, you, you have that feeling of belonging. So um, as the think tank, you have your um, team members who join. Is that a place where they can talk honestly about um, how a corporation could better support or create more room for growth for women of color? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, the community that we've that we've built is really one that's very open, uh, where we've been able to create a very safe space uh, where people can come in, whether it be within our meetings. You know, we utilize teams a lot. Uh, so that has, you know, so chats and things like that, where everybody can share genuinely what they're going through and how can we support the organization Um on becoming a you know a place uh, an inclusive place they already are, um, but how can we support our members? You know, at L'Oreal USA, we're across the nation, right? Like we're we're in a lot of places, and that's one of the things that we've been able to do um, with. We've been able to leverage uh, the fact that we've gone virtual, and our membership has increased because a lot of our content now. Um, virtual. So, you know, we've been able to network with people in Arizona and California, uh, really all over uh, in Puerto Rico, you know, so it's, it's amazing. I'm curious if you've noticed any shift in like the more junior people who are your members, like with their um, comfort being vocal and honest, you know, through the years. I um, mean, you know, because it's easy for someone who's at a leadership position to say what they what they need. Well, not easy. Sometimes it's easier for someone in a leadership position to speak up for themselves. Um, but uh, ha- what about the junior people? Oh, no, I've definitely seen them. You know, uh, I think sometimes it takes a little bit of um, attending one or two to kind of understand and pick up on the environment to really be able to feel comfortable. But they do find their voice and they are vocal and they're all taking equally. You know, like everybody that is, is voicing a concern, it's valid. And, you know, we listen to it. The the diversity, uh, the chief diversity officer um, is highly involved. And she's, you know, um, is open to having these conversations and listening. And I think that that's the most important part is really being able to to listen. 
All right. So now I want to learn more about Latinas and beauty because you're very busy, right? You don't just have your day job, but you're the lead at L'Oreal and then you're part of the Latinas and beauty organization. So tell me about that. Yeah. So Latinas and beauty really started from me just really being involved a lot in women of color, right? Um, And through understanding the experience of a Latina and uh, women of color in general um, in corporate America, um, I really felt that there was this... um, space, this white space where Latinas really were having a hard time knowing where Latinas were within a lot of the beauty organizations, what the brands were. So really it was an opportunity for me to create a community uh, where we can come together to network, to kind of get to know one another, to really be able to celebrate and elevate um, the Latina community. Uh, And it's, it's, been great. I've been able to um, see a lot of um, the indie Latina brands um, really in the past year, you know, thrive uh, with e-commerce really being um, taken advantage of the the wave of the e-commerce being the women in general buying things more online, seeing how successful they've become in launching, you know, new new brands. You know what we'll do after our recording? I'll ask you to email me. some of the brands that you want to give a shout out to and we'll put we'll post them on our stories on Instagram okay. and LinkedIn. Yeah. So we can give a shout out to the um the many brands who you're getting to support through Latinas and Beauty. Oh, so awesome. um how do you like make time for all of this, Emily? So I definitely had to learn how to be organized before, you know, I was, but um really dividing my time, you know, um, because I'm also a, a mom of two boys. <laughs> um so you know I separate a lot of my Latinas in beauty is really time that I spend on the weekends, really putting together um, any content um, there uh, and speaking um, with the founders and the women that are in beauty uh, in the afternoons. And, you know, when I'm at work, um, my, you know, my nine to five, uh, that's time dedicated to that. Uh, so I squeeze it all in. <laughs> I don't know how, but I, <laughs> uh, I think it's all fueled f- through um, passion, right? So I think when you're passionate about something, that really drives you. And for me, the the what drives me for Latinas in beauty in particular, in particularly, is I want to see others succeed. And I I know I have I've been fortunate enough to create a network that has benefited me really well within the beauty industry that I just want to share. Cause I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's room for all of us. And if I can help at least one individual get, get either in the door or be connected with somebody to get, you know, a, a promotion or another job within the industry, that's what fuels me. I love it. So, um, okay. You're going to be going on a plane, on an airplane to a work event in November for Beauty Connect. Is this the first time you're doing that in many, many months? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have not traveled outside of um, New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, you know, I, I, I lost count on how many months it's been since. <laughs> Well, it all started right March 2020. Yeah. So, um, you know, what kind of feelings are you having? Are you excited to be at a conference with real people in real life? I'm excited because I'm fueled by other people's energies, and that's like where I I thrive. But it also is scary, <laughs> you know, because I have two kids at home; they're unvaccinated. You know, I think in general, just what's happening, um, with a lot of the variants and things like that, you just never know. Um, but you know, just taking, being very cautious. 
Yeah. Um, we were just on vacation. We flew for the first time in a while. And I just, um, we double masked. You know, yeah. I just felt like that's what, well, what else can I do? And yeah. then when we were traveling, my daughter's too young to be vaccinated. So we just like made a point of like, um, let's just, if, if one of us is unvaccinated, we'd all need to act like we're unvaccinated. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it takes a little bit more um, work to make it happen, but I'm excited for you and my team members to be at the Beauty Connect event. Those are always so fun. Get to meet so many people. And it's so cool that there's a partnership between Beauty Connect and Latinas um, in beauty. Yeah, no, they've been, you know, very early on when I started Latinas in Beauty, I was able to get connected with them through another Latina in beauty. (laughs) So uh, she connected me and, you know, they really see the value in supporting women of color uh, and their conferences are so beneficial to our founders And in our partnership, um, a lot of our founders have been able to attend their virtual events. um, And, you know, they provide, you know, great feedback that it's amazing and the content is exactly what they need. Uh, Because for the smaller ones, even though, you know, when you think about it, the value is not, the value to attend is is not significant, but to them it is, right? Because every dollar counts um, that they're spending, uh, it's going to building their, their brand. So like just having that opportunity, um, it's invaluable. Yeah. And like to be able to, um, connect with people that would be harder to reach, like in a normal day, um, and build a network and hear from experts. Um, you know, I think the power of these events is in the networking, right. in the connecting. And even if you don't, obviously you can't meet everybody there. You can then take the chance afterwards to LinkedIn people and say, sorry, I missed you at the event. You know, um, you know, do you have time to talk? And a lot of people will say, a lot of people will say yes. Yeah. That's like your way in, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how like it gives you that, that opportunity to, to send that, that email out and start this conversation. I, I, the, the networking in itself is worth its value. (laughs) Well, Emily, I'm so grateful that we were connected through Beauty Connect. They've been great partners for my podcast, too. I mean, my podcast is going to be five years old in January, and we've been partnering with them for a really long time. So they've been here with us in the beginning. Um, And it's so great that you get to bring um, Latina and beauty um, team members from your organization to these events. And I'm excited for um, what you're going to be speaking about. Will you be speaking about claims and regulatory? Um, we're still trying to <laughs> fine tune that. <laughs> I love claims. I think it's a good topic. Uh, yeah, no claims is I. It's it's where my heart is. <laughs> claims is it's so it's one that really you know you have to be very creative, but yet you know figure out how to um, to do it. And I love you know this conversation with the marketing team and the lab. There's just very um, interesting. Yeah, I mean in beauty. Um, I would imagine it's the same in pet health, right? Like the claims that you're able to develop is what's going to lead to either success or, you know, the consumer not even paying attention, right? Exactly. So you have to be um, honest and creative at the same time, which is really cool. Yeah. Well, Emily, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. I'm so grateful that we got to meet through this podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.